0: The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Excellent. Good morning, everyone. Good Good to see you all here. We're continuing our series uh, that we began at the beginning of January. It was called Unless... Uh, This is our last Sunday. Next Sunday we'll be starting a new series, which interestingly will be very connected to the topic that we're looking at this morning. And I want to do this morning a little bit differently. It's my first sermon back after being on holiday, so I'm a bit rusty. Um, So I thought I'll do it a little bit differently. And we're going to do it um, with a bit of crowd participation, doing a bit of group learning. Um, in fact, a lot of the New Testament time, that's probably how they did it, where they received a letter from Paul and they sat around and they read it together and they talked about what does this mean and how do we live this? And so we're going to do a little bit of that. So I'm going to need you to, to respond and call things out. For those of you who are listening on the podcast, this is going to be a really weird message because you'll hear me say things and then there'll be periods of silence. Um, so I apologize for that. Hopefully you can hear as people call things out or I'll repeat some of them. So you kind of kept in the loop uh, as we go together. But in this series, we've been considering entering the kingdom of God. Um, and we might have all different ideas of how we do that. And I know people come to churches or grow up outside of the church having different ideas about how to get to heaven or um, you know, how to please God and a whole bunch of things. And we, we've looked at some very, very clear statements about Jesus, but in the reverse, where he talks about the things that if you continue to do, you will not be able to enter the kingdom of God. And that's interesting Because we think that there isn't really a barrier for anyone to enter the kingdom of God. But yeah, Jesus makes it clear that there are at least four things. We've looked at three. Uh, One of them is unless you're born again, and we looked at what that meant, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Unless your righteousness or your good works exceeds the most righteous people that lived at the time that Jesus said that. You can't enter the kingdom of God. And we look like, well, how do we get that righteousness? And we realize that it's only through the righteousness that Jesus gives us that we can enter the kingdom of God. And last week we looked at unless you become like a little child and what that means uh, in terms of entering the kingdom of God and the kind of faith that Jesus is calling for. This morning our passage is Mark 10, but I want to qualify this by saying that Jesus doesn't actually say unless here. I included it because even though the actual phrase, unless you such and such, you will not enter the kingdom of God, is not in this text, the the meaning and the conversation that Jesus has here is very much of the same essence. Um, and this is the story of Jesus' encounter or conversation with uh, a man who had a lot of money. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles, and, and this is one of the reasons why we encourage you to bring your Bibles because I'm not going to put it up on the screen, you need to have your Bible open and be looking at this because I need you to think about what 's going on and then answer back so if you have a phone, grab it, put this passage in because you 'll need to be reading along if you want a hard copy Bible, there are some just at the front, feel free to go and grab one so you can follow along. Uh, Mark chapter ten and we begin in verse thirteen, which interestingly is the text that that Rohan was kind of referring to when we looked at unless you become a child and I wanted you to see this context it says this in verse 13 people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them but the disciples rebuked them when Jesus saw this he was indignant he said to them let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these so again this kingdom idea which has been our theme for this year Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So he doesn't say unless, but same idea. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. And this is our focal passage now, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments? You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Many commentators said that that's probably one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. So there's no unless, but it's kind of there. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Father, we come before your word in reverence and awe and with great expectation that you want to speak to our hearts. And so we pray, Lord, will you open our hearts to receive your word. Help me to communicate it. Faithfully help us as we discuss it together, to learn from each other that we might grow together into the fullness of Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want us to think about is the man in this story. What do you notice about him? What do you know about him? Now this account is in three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And if you want the cross-references, uh, it's Matthew nineteen sixteen to 30, and Luke eighteen eighteen to 30. And we glean different things from all three of those passages that talk about him. But from what you know of this man, and from what you know in this text, what can we... Do? Uh, determine about this man. He's rich. Yes. That's kind of right there. What else? Someone else? He kept the commandments. So he was a moral person. He was a really good guy. And interestingly, Jesus here focuses on the human commands. So if you know the, the Ten Commandments, they're broken up into two section, sections. The first four focus on our vertical relationship with God. The, the latter six focus on human relationships. And the way the Jewish mindset understood it, if you did the first four, then you would do the second six. And so Jesus is focusing just on the second six and saying, well, if you're doing those, then I can assume that you're keeping the first four. And so that's why only the latter six are mentioned here. Yep, moral person, good person. uh, Yeah, okay. So he, he, well, I'm wondering if he actually thought he was doing everything, because for some reason, even though he was a really moral person, it seems like he's coming to Jesus, maybe because he'd heard about this new rabbi, this new teacher who was teaching some different things um, that was different to how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have been teaching. And he was intrigued because somewhere inside of him, maybe there was this sense that uh, maybe I'm missing something. Otherwise, why would he come and say, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because according to the Jewish mindset, he was doing everything. But there was something niggling inside of him that maybe made him think, ah, I just want to make sure. Maybe there's something else I'm missing. But yeah, fair point, Valerie. Valerie. Yeah, so there's, I love that. There's an eagerness here. He's running to Jesus, and there's great respect for Jesus. He says, Good teacher. He falls on his knees, and he's actually inquiring, he's searching, he's seeking, he's interested in spiritual things. Yep. Anything else? Well, another thing we can tell he's a man. And that's important, because in, in that time, that meant influence, power, significance, a whole bunch of different things. We're told he was rich, yes. We're told he was young, uh, in one of the other accounts, uh, which is also important. You know, uh, We're also told that he was a ruler, uh, so he had influence and power and authority. So in every way, this guy had it all together. If you put it all together... He was a moral guy, young man, powerful, rich. He was a good guy, supposedly, doing good things, loving people, being generous, helping people, honoring people, all of these things. Here's the point I want you to see here. In spite of all of that, one of the other things we missed is that he was loved by Jesus. He was loved by Jesus. We're told there that Jesus looked at him and loved him. It is possible to be young, significant, powerful, rich, Influential, good moral person, loved by God, and still not enter the kingdom of God. I wonder if we really feel the weight of that. Because so often, even though we know the gospel, and we understand that we're saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ... Somewhere along the way, it always still creeps into our hearts and minds that if I am just more of this, then I can enter the kingdom of God. And I know that there are many people in our culture who would think, man, this guy, out of anyone that you can think of, should be eligible for entrance into the kingdom. He was blessed, rich, successful, influential, powerful, moral, Loved by God, loved by Jesus, and he still misses out. Profound. It ought to give us cause to reflect on how we think about the badges that we can put on ourselves. On the things that, you know, make us feel significant and powerful and all of those things. So let's think a little bit about this man's problem. What do you think his problem was? He couldn't give up his money. He loved money. What is the one thing he lacked? Jesus says, yeah, great, awesome. I'm not debating you about your morality. Yeah, I can, I can affirm that. But there's one thing. One thing. What's the one thing? Give. give. Generosity. That was his problem. He wasn't generous. Which is interesting because the, the law you know, talked about a whole bunch of things. About kinda of looking after your neighbor and uh, not defrauding people and so not stealing, but maybe yeah, he just wasn't generous. What else do you think might be his problem? Or what are other thoughts about what you think his problem might be? Ben. His treasures were here on earth. Yeah? His treasures were here on earth? And that's referring to a passage uh, in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus talked about treasures, storing up treasure in heaven, and where your, your treasure is there, your heart will be. Yeah? He can make it earn his salvation. Yeah, I think that's very, very insightful. Where, where do you get that from? Because he's asking, what else must I do? Yeah. So, yeah, very, very interesting. And I think that's getting to the heart of what this man's real problem was. I think he had... Like many others, and as we'll see in this account, even the disciples to some extent had this mentality of salvation being something you could achieve or you could attain. Because his question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then he goes on to affirm when Jesus says, well, these are the things the law says you need to do. He says, tick. I've done it. And so when Jesus begins to kind of focus in on the, on, on the real issue of this man, and he says, one thing you lack, I think, I think you're right in, in saying that it was this self-reliance. It was this idea that I can attain, I can achieve my own salvation. And we'll, we'll come back to that, and we'll pick, pick that up a little bit more, but... Since we've, like people talked about love of money and money and stuff, let's talk a little bit about money. So next month, our whole series is going to be looking at money. And we're looking at wealth, and we're looking at having wisdom with wealth, and what the Bible teaches about it, and how we're to use it in terms of kingdom endeavors. Um, And I encourage you, you, if you really kind of have questions about the Bible and money to consider doing the seminar uh, because it'll be very, very helpful and very, very practical. I went to a seminar with Alex Cook and and he was great. Really practical, really biblical, uh, really inspiring to think about how God has entrusted us with wealth to use for his kingdom purpose. Um, So I encourage you to sign up for it. And so we're going to be spending the whole month looking at the wisdom in Proverbs about this whole idea of wealth. But for right now, let's talk about Money. So if we're saying that it's this rich man, maybe he was rich, maybe he was greedy, maybe he was selfish, maybe he was not generous, maybe he loved money too much, maybe his heart was preoccupied with things on earth and not things in heaven. But fundamentally, his problem, all of that was leading to is that this self-reliance, self-attaining salvation idea that he lacked. So then what can we say about money? What's the problem with money? How does his money get in the way of him entering the kingdom of God? He wants to hold on to it. He loved money, so his heart pursued it. Yep, any other thoughts? A trust in God. Absolutely, a lack of trust in God. Yep. Any other thoughts? Okay? So let's think about money. Notice what Jesus says here by noticing what he doesn't say. He says that it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And he uses a metaphor the, the camel going through the eye of a needle. Now again, commentators and people have thought this means a whole bunch of different things and said, oh, you know, there's a gate that was called the needle gate and the camel. There's no historical evidence for any of that. What Jesus seems to be saying is, you know the biggest animal that you know in Palestine at the time? Camel. That's the biggest one. The smallest opening that you would know? The eye of a needle. That's it. Can you take that big camel and put it through the eye of a needle? That, that's the metaphor. It's just that. And it's meant to convey the very thing that the disciples get. It's impossible. Impossible. The reason why they were so confused is that in the Jewish mind, being rich meant two things. One, it was a sign of God's blessing. Abundance, wealth, riches it came from the hand of God. And we see in the Old Testament that idea when you, when you obey God and you, you live the covenant and you're faithful to the covenant, God promises abundant blessing. So it was seen as a sign of blessing. And while the poor are, 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 are in the Old Testament, particularly, are people who are um, special to God and close to the heart of God, and, and the scriptures tell uh, the rich and others to care for the poor and, and, and look after the poor, there was still that mindset that being poor was not. Not a good thing. It, was not, it wasn't a blessing to be poor. So they're confused that, okay, so money, richness in this time was seen as a sign of blessing and a good thing. The other thing that also is really, really important and strikes at the very heart of what Jesus is getting at here is that it was considered that if you were rich, you had more of a chance to achieve your own salvation. Why? Because in the Jewish mind, there were three main pillars of piety or holiness. One was prayer, one was fasting, and the third one was almsgiving. In other words, being generous, caring for the poor, the needs of others. So in the, in the disciples' mind and the people who were hearing Jesus at the time, how could you do that if you don't have money? But if you have a lot of money, then it increases your chance to do that to be a holy person, to be pious, to save yourself. So when Jesus says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, they're like, what? How how does that make any sense? Well, if we're poor and if we don't have money, how do we give alms to earn our merit, our salvation? It didn't make any sense. So notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say those who love money, Because sometimes when you talk to Christians, particularly in the West, about money, they go, oh, there's nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money that's the problem because that's what the Bible says in 1 Timothy. The love of money is the root of all evil. So as long as we don't love money, well, that's okay. But notice Jesus doesn't say that here. He just makes this blanket statement how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And just in case you're sitting there going, well, that's not me. Well, it depends on where you set the benchmark. And if you've traveled anywhere outside the developed world, you will know that all of us here would come under this description. We're rich. So we ought to really consider this passage seriously because Jesus and the New Testament have many things to say about the dangers of money. I've just listed a few scriptures here, and you can look into these in more detail. Luke 12 is the story of the, the parable that Jesus tells of the rich fool who stores up treasure. You know that one. And he says, life is not in the accumulation of stuff. Now, if that's not a word for our day and culture... Acts five is the story of Ananias and Sapphira and how they they sell their property and they keep some of the money back and and God judges them severely. They drop dead in the early church. James five is James warning the rich in his church about the coming judgment because they've oppressed the poor and they've withheld wages of people and. Being terrible with their money. They haven't been generous and, and loving with their money. 1 Timothy 6, I've already alluded to, and then 17 to 19, is Paul, again, talking to rich people in the church to think very carefully about how they relate to money and how much they're putting their trust and their faith and their confidence in money. And Hebrews thirteen five is again a, a warning not to have a heart that chases after money, but to be content with what you have. Now, why all these warnings? And notice something. All of these are written to people in the church, to Christians, people like you, people like me. Why all these warnings? What is the danger of money to the state of our heart? How does money put our faith at risk? And to really back that point up, let me, let me take you to the parable of the sower. One of the, the heart issues that Jesus addresses that doesn't produce fruit is the one that is caught up with the cares of this world and, and wealth and possessions. So one of the, the dangers to growing and, and remaining fruitful in Christ, persecution is one, and money, wealth is the other. Why does money pose such a risk to our faith? I'll take your silence as being your thinking. Thinking. <laughs> it's a question. It's a question. I want you to think about. Yes, sir. It conditions us. Okay. So it somehow affects what it means to be human. Yeah, and disconnects us from people. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay, yeah. So money gives us power. Control. Yeah, let's think about what does money give us. Security, Security. yep. Comfort, absolutely. Pleasure, Pleasure. definitely. Status. Status, yes. More, temptation. More temptations, yes. We don't need to depend on God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Independence. Autonomy. Okay? Yep. Security. Security. Yep. Scary stuff. So you can see, and I want to show you this vividly. Many Christian thinkers and and, uh, Bible teachers and commentators have come up with this idea that all our sin, really if you reduce it all down... It comes down to idolatry. It comes down to the violation of the first commandment and the second commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and do not have any other gods before me. And that's really at the heart what's going on for this young man. He he was violating the first and the greatest commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart. His heart had a different God a different idol, and it was money. But lest we think that Jesus is just thinking about money here, I want you to pause. I think Jesus is talking about everything that poses a threat to our allegiance, our worship, our devotion to God. Idolatry is really at the heart of this conversation. And so, many Bible thinkers have kind of said, really, any sin that we can think about, we can probably reduce it down to a root idol. And they've kind of come up with four that they think are behind just about every other thing. And I've made this easy for you to remember, because I think these are significant things for you to remember and reflect on every time you struggle with something. And I've worded it in such a way that it's APCC, so you never forget it, right? APCC. So the four root idols one are approval. Approval. We want approval. We want validation, affirmation, acceptance. And our greatest fear is rejection or shame. This is my probably number one idol. Just owning it. The second one is power, success. Influence, respect, power. Third one, control. Uh, people talk about security. That comes under this one. Security, self-reliance, certainty. Uh, well, you know, okay, I'm, I'm set. I don't have to worry because I've got control of my life, of my future, family, whatever it is. The last one is comfort, pleasure, ease, taking it easy. Relaxing, Retiring early, being on holiday, not having a care in the world. <laughs> Comfort. All right? Now, I don't know which one of those, or more than one probably, are your constant threat. Now, think about money and look at that list. And tell me, from that list, which thing does money not give us? It's all of them and i think that's why more than anything else jesus says you can't serve god and money think about that jesus could have said any two things you can't serve god and yourself you can't serve god and your family you can any two things but he chose that because i think in one sense it poses the greatest threat because money offers us everything think about money And the other illusion about money is that we think we're in control of it. We can earn it. We can spend it. We can save it. We can invest it. We can do a whole bunch of things with it, which all implies that we're in control. So I want to suggest to you that perhaps as we look into our own hearts, the reason why... We struggle so much in our faith sometimes is because other things preoccupy the place that God was meant to have in our life. Idols. You see, one Bible writer says that what we don't have an option for is to worship something or someone. We were created that way, to worship. Bob Dylan sang a song many years ago that some of you might know. You've got to serve somebody. You've got to serve somebody. That is wired into our human identity to worship, to have a a vacuum that that God is meant to occupy. And the human experience is that we constantly try to fill that void with other things. Whether it's ourself, whether it's money, our family, our career, our appearance, our reputation, whatever it is, other gods. But here's the thing that I want you to hear. And it goes back to the beginning of our passage when this rich young ruler comes and says good teacher. And how does Jesus reply? In verse 18, he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, again, scholars have debated, is Jesus saying he's not God? Is Jesus saying I'm not good because I'm, I'm sinful like you? No, Jesus is not saying any of those things. But as the representative of God, he wants the focus to be on the Father and not on himself. But here's the thing I want you to pick out of that, that every other master Every other thing that you put in the center of your life is not good. That's what Jesus is saying. There's only one person that belongs in that place. Because there's only one person who is good. Who as you serve and as you worship, you can trust. Because he desires what is best for you. And even though you have this illusion that if you have more money, you will have more control and more security. It's a false impression. It's an illusion It's the illusion of security and control that you have. Only the good one who has your whole life and future in his hands can be trusted to be secure in. And we know that because this same God demonstrated his goodness by extending himself on a cross. So let's talk very briefly as we wrap up about the remedy. The remedy. And my message this morning is entitled, Unless You Let Go. Unless you let go, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus says it to this man. He says, you've got you to get rid of this stuff. He says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Again, Jesus is not saying that every disciple that wants to follow him has to sell everything and follow him. This is not prescriptive for everyone who wants to enter the kingdom of God. It is for this man because it was his idol. The principle is, well, what is the thing that... Constantly gets into the center of your heart and your very soul and your very, the core of your being, are you prepared to let go of that? Are you prepared to, to devote your heart entirely to the only good God, the only good master, the only good king, the only good father? Are you willing to, to let go of everything else, everything lesser? And and Jesus says, and follow me. And follow me. And in chapter 8... Of Mark 34 to 38, Jesus expands on what that looks like. He says, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And Jesus immediately follows this section by talking about his death and his resurrection. Where Jesus wants him to follow is follow him in the way of the cross, follow him by trusting in his coming death and his resurrection for his salvation, not in his own attainment, not in his own achievement, not in his self-reliance, not in his control, not in his ability to do enough good works, because he had the money to earn God's favor, but to say, I can't save myself, which is why Jesus responds saying, it is impossible to do this. It is, everyone can be saved, everyone is welcome into the kingdom, but it is impossible to save yourself. Only God can do that as he reveals his love and his grace and reveals the cross in your heart. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You see, all of us are invited into the kingdom. (coughs) But we've got to come God's way. And unless we do that, we will not enter. And that's the whole point of all our unless series. We've got to come God's way. We've got to be born again. We've got to embrace and accept his righteousness. We've got to, interestingly, as Jesus says in verse 15, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child. It's not about what must I do but to receive the kingdom as a gift. Unless we do that, we will not enter the kingdom of God. Unless, like a child, we trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and His resurrection, even though we might not fully understand, how does that save me? But I trust Jesus, and I embrace Him. And I've got an image, and I'd like the band to jump up, that I think summarizes this beautifully. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to let go of what we put our security in? Whatever that idol is that is in the center of our heart. And for some of us, it might be our wealth and our riches and our stuff that gives us that illusion of control and security. It might be our reputation. It might be our career. It might be our physical health. It might be a whole bunch of things. But Unless we let go of that trapeze, we will never enter the kingdom of God. You know, it's impossible to be a trapeze artist unless you're willing to let go of the trapeze you're on. Otherwise, you're just on a swing. But that's what Jesus calls us to. And let me tell you, it is terrifying. Because there's always a gap between when you've let go... And you feel the hands of Jesus grabbing a hold on you. But I want to tell you, you can be confident that those hands will be there because those same hands were outstretched for you on a cross, nailed, absorbing the wrath and the anger of God for your idolatry, my idolatry, your sin, my sin, your rejection, your rebellion, your vilest act, which all comes down to a root idol of saying, I want to be autonomous independent, do my own thing, be my own God and how offensive that is to the God who created us to know him and love him and worship him in devotion and those hands were stretched out absorbed the just judgment that we deserved and those same hands will be there to grab you and never let you go I want to finish with just this concluding thought In Matthew 22, Jesus tells the parable of the wedding banquet. And he talks about this king who wanted to throw this big party. And all these people are invited. And and he sends his servants out to tell all these people who are invited, come into the king's banquet, which was a metaphor for the kingdom of God. And people give excuses and say, oh, no, I can't. I, I got this, I got that. And some beat up the servants, and it doesn't end well for them. And then the king says, I want you, my servants, to go into the highways and byways and invite everyone, everyone to come into the kingdom to enjoy this feast. And all these people come in and they're all seated there and the king comes and he's looking at his guests and then he sees this one guy and he's sitting there and he's not wearing wedding clothes. And he gets ejected. Now, I don't know what that means in terms of heaven, whether there'll be people in heaven who get ejected. I don't think that was the point that Jesus was trying to make there. The point that Jesus was trying to make is that everyone's invited, but you got to come the way that the king has made for you to come, which is to receive as a gift the wedding clothes, his righteousness that he gives you. And if you try to come on your own, you'll be found out, and you'll be found out that you cannot enter the kingdom of God because you don't have the king's clothes. And so this morning, I don't know where you're at in your journey of faith and maybe you've been part of our church for a while and, and you, you're yet to really make that leap of faith where you let go and you surrender and you trust Jesus to save you. He's the only good master. And maybe you're here and you've been walking with Jesus and you recognize the constant threat you continuing to follow Jesus this way wholeheartedly because you recognize that other things that grabbing, trying to grab onto your heart and sometimes you're giving into them and you recognize the slow creep of idolatry into your own heart in lots of different ways and this is an opportunity for you to examine your own heart and we're going to sing I Surrender which I thought was a profound song for us to sing sorry what were you going to sing Okay, old song. Great, we can do that one. And I want you to examine your heart. And I invite you today, let go. Let go and put your hands in the hands of Jesus. Why don't you bow your head, close your eyes, and just take a moment as the band starts to sing, and then we'll join them.